0: This episode of the podcast is brought to you by manslaughter, the scariest type of murder.
1: (laughs) (laughs) The man who pulls the lever that breaks your neck will be a dispassionate man. And that dispassion is the very essence of justice. For justice delivered without dispassion is always in danger of not being justice. Amen.
0: Hey, everybody, welcome back to the show. I'm Frank. I'm Zach. And today we are doing Quentin Tarantino's eighth feature film, The Hateful Eight. Uh,
1: I love this film. It's fucking amazing. It's, it's top three favorite Quentin yeah, Tarantino films. I think so.
0: And it's one of those movies that, for, for some reason, I never associate it with my like top five Tarantino films when I mm-hmm. think about it. And then every time I watch it, I'm like, this might be top two yeah like this might be one of his best movies ever
1: yeah it's hard not to be it, like
0: hateful eight in my opinion is genuinely all right look we'll get into it yeah. well let's
1: let's uh let's, yeah let's do the rundown. We'll slow it down a little yeah, bit yeah, yeah so the hateful eight quentin tarantino's eighth film came out in 2015 so for the hateful eight mm-hmm. you have eight main characters and they're all just like the, the awesome. cast is just star studded it's, it's just great <laughs> So you have Samuel L. Jackson, who plays Major Marquise Warren. You have Kurt Russell, who plays the hangman, John Ruth. Mm -hmm. You have Jennifer Jason Leigh, who plays Daisy Domerdew. You have Walton Goggins, who plays Sheriff Chris Mannix. You have Tim Roth, who plays Oswaldo Mowbray. Michael Madsen, who plays Joe Gage. Bruce Dern, who plays General Stanford Smithers. And Damien Bichir, who plays Senior Bob. Senior Bob. And then just to throw it into, because we got to keep it at eight, but uh, Channing Tatum, Jody, I actually like his performance in this.
0: Yeah, I kind of agree. It's like one of the very like rare occasions where he Channing shows Tatum some actually isn't terrible. Yeah. Um, and if you don't know what The Hateful Eight is about, it's yeah, it's, it's a <laughs> it's dense it's, movie. It is. But to keep it like simple, then we will obviously deep dive into it. Um, it is in the dead of a Wyoming winter uh a bounty hunter and his prisoner find shelter in a cabin currently inhabited by a collection of nefarious characters it 's uh, a western clue movie, b- yes and no <laughs> kinda uh, kinda yeah uh so i 've said it before and i 'll and I still say it today. Mm-hmm. Westerns are like probably one of my favorite genres of film, yeah. I don't know it's, there's just something about a really, really good Western that just tickles my pickle a little, you know, like it just really, <laughs> really just brings like pure joy to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so when Tarantino, because obviously this was coming off of Django, yes. so like when you see that Tarantino is doing another Western, especially with like the whole, how he was like promoting this movie. Mm-hmm. I was the most excited about a Tarantino film ever for this movie Uh, because he was doing the whole roadshow thing. He was doing 70 millimeter IMAX Mm -hmm. and I was like, I need to see this film in IMAX and I need to see this in 70 millimeter. I need to see the roadshow edition. Mm -hmm. Um, And you did, right? Oh, yeah. I fucking Mm. saw it. And it was absolutely incredible, and it was one of my favorite, probably probably my favorite theatrical experience ever. I mean, in the beginning there was an overture, there was an intermission. He he uh, he had like these pamphlets made up that like you got like a big like big pretty thick pamphlet mm-hmm. of of like stills from the film, and just like it was just like really really cool that's really and awesome. i have i have it like framed in my room mm-hmm. and i saved it and i have i still have like my tickets from that like thing like in the frame and all that like it's again it's like one of my favorite things but ironically when i left the movie
1: mm-hmm.
0: i kind of felt eh about it really yeah so the my first viewing of this film mm-hmm. i was just kind of like it wasn't bad by any means but i was just like it was it was not his best in my opinion i was like it's it was a it was a, a, a slightly lesser Tarantino film than for, than what I wanted, mm-hmm. and then I w- of course when it came out on Blu-ray I bought it and then I watched it like twenty five more times since then, and it has easily become one of my favorite Tarantino movies ever. And it's it's a hard movie to digest because there's so much going on, um, from what he's from like the statements that he's making about what what's going on in the world today and how it correlated with what was going on in the character's world with that time and era and i feel like his movie even now because even in 2015 it resonated a lot Mm -hmm. because hatefully he had like this really interesting thing where he was like he he actually wrote the screenplay like three times oh really yeah so he wrote the screenplay three times and hatefully the 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 first draft of the screenplay actually got leaked out and it was like, fuck, like now <laughs> he's got to rewrite the right, entire so, thing. So, well, he, so he rewrote it and then he rewrote it again. Mm-hmm. And it, it, his, intention, a decoy. Well, <laughs> his intentions were to rewrite them three times anyway. Yeah. But apparently it was just, you know, the, the screenplay got leaked out and I didn't read it. I didn't want to know anything mm-hmm. about it. So I was like, I'm not going to touch it. So the screenplay gets leaked so that was like a really like weird thing but you 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 could see that he was writing this for years already Mm -hmm. like he was literally like working on this film for like years and when it got released you could you could see how much it was resonating with like what was going on in like current day and now like Mm -hmm. watching it today it feels like it might even resonate even more and this movie was written eight years ago yeah and it's really weird. It's similar to like, it's not, it's not nearly as like rough as like, I would say, uh, V for Vendetta was cause like V for Vendetta was like, like, like a little, a little ahead of its it, time, it was like but way like way like, too accurate. Like yeah. the, what, what, you know, like the year, like to the year yeah. and, and literally talking about a pandemic and viruses and, and that whole thing, like that was weird. But this movie for sure with like the whole like racial inequality mm-hmm. and, and like what he touches on that is definitely extremely prominent watching it today.
1: Absolutely. Uh,
0: So it's really, really weird and interesting to see that. Um, So, Zach. Frank. Who do you resonate the most with? Because there's Um, so many characters. There is. And each of them has their... None of them are good. No, by by no means. Yeah, and that's kind of like a unique thing about a movie, right? Mm. Where you don't really have a character that you can necessarily say is... Although you could make the argument that Samuel Jackson's character is the main character. Mm-hmm. They're all the main they're characters. They're all kind of... They're all the main characters, and they also are... They all, again, aren't likable. So there mm-hmm. isn't really a character that you can be like, oh, he's our hero. Yeah. And like that's the one that the audience gravitate towards. So I thought, I thought that in this movie, it's kind of interesting that you don't have a character that really you gravitate towards. Like that... Everybody is supposed to gravitate towards. It's mm. kind of just like a free-for-all. Who do you like the best?
1: I'm, I'm biased to Tim Roth. Yeah. Because Understandably. I, I love him. I think him playing Oswaldo and then later on when you find out more stuff and you hear like the difference in like his accent. Yeah. I thought it was really cool. Yeah. Um, weirdly enough, I didn't resonate with him, but I liked the character development the most was Mannix. Mm-hmm. I liked yeah, his, is really cool. I liked his turnaround. Yeah, where like he really was like this southern hater mm-hmm. of of races, and like was part of this coalition with his father leading it, and they they tried to stop like any anything like for equality like in the oh, south. Okay, yeah. And then you have like this one eighty like towards the end where. He starts working more with uh, Samuel L. Jackson's character, mm-hmm. and really starting to form like a bond with him. Yeah, and given like several opportunities to betray him, and decides not to. Yeah, and I I liked that aspect where it's like this man could change.
0: Yeah, I think that there's definitely an aspect of this film where you kind of have to look at it from the point of. These characters are who they are because of the world that they grew up in, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and they hate they hate a specific race or a specific person from a certain part of the world because that's what they grew up in. Yeah. And then when when you put all of them inside of this confined four walls, you realize, or at least with like Mannix's case. You, the, and even Samuel Jackson's case, mm. the, you kind of realize that it's not that the reason as to why they have their views is because of where they grew up and the per, and all the people that they are surrounded by have the same ideological views. Yeah, But when you then take those people and put them in the same room as the people that they hate or grew up to dislike, and they are all then kind of working together, They realize that like their differences don't really matter and then they can actually form what you can only, I guess, say is a it's almost a friendship. It's not quite because they obviously are still like a little guarded and you're not going to become best friends with somebody over the course of whatever it is, three Mm -hmm. or four days, however long they're in here. But you see the dynamic. You you, you can see the development of of how a human being can start to change you know it's similar mm-hmm. to like american history x i don't know if you ever saw american history x but Little um bit. I, that know, mean, that I know means the, no. <laughs> i know the. In, i know the infamous scene okay of the curb okay stomping. right 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 but in american history x it's like he's a he's like a, a white supremacist and mm-hmm. then he goes to jail and he befriends like a black guy in jail and then he comes out of jail and all of a sudden he like wants to change his ways because he realizes that like all of them aren't bad and that and the, that you know they're all just people and blah 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 and that's kind of like what i think this movie is at least trying to say a little bit. Yeah. Um, personally, my favorite character, and the one that I always gravitate towards, is Kurt Russell. Well,
1: yeah, because the fucking awesome beard. Well, the mustache is <laughs> that's, sick. That's one. Um,
0: so, John Ruth. And I really, really, absolutely adore his dynamic with Daisy.
1: Yes, because... It's weird, like, watching it this time and, like, really picking it apart. Yeah. I don't know if you got this, but there almost seems to be, like, some flirtatious chemistry between There's them. There's a
0: weird flirtatious chemistry. They kind of like each other. They kind of hate each other. Yeah. Uh, but they, at the end of the day, they hate each other. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah because, and I feel like in, a, in, a, in, a, in a, uh, a typical movie, you would say at the end of the day, you realize that they really love each other. No. But in this movie, they absolutely
1: hate each other. Yeah, because Daisy... <laughs> watches as somebody poisons the coffee right for john to drink right so Daisy, go ahead he's he's going to take her to hang yeah
0: yeah so daisy is an interesting character because in the beginning when you're introduced to her Mm -hmm. you kind of feel bad for her yeah a little bit
1: a little right because
0: like at least, like when I saw this in theaters, I don't know. Did you see this in theaters?
1: I did. Okay. Um, I I did not go to, to the see, 70 like, millimeter. Yeah. Yeah. I, I went to see it in like the Newberg like theater. And gotcha. Honestly, man, it was me, my brother, and my dad. We were the only people in this theater. Oh, really?
0: My theater was packed. Uh, and it was and it was packed with like Tarantino lovers because yeah. at the end of the day, like you're gonna go to like if you're gonna go to a Tarantino film and you're gonna go out of your way to see like the 70 millimeter, you're gonna pay extra money like for that and all that. Like yeah. The, the people that are going to see that movie are, like, the diehard fans. Mm-hmm. So that was a really, really, like, cool experience for me because I've never been in a, in a, in a theater where, like, everybody was just, like, absolutely, like, l- like no mm-hmm. matter what. Like, everyone was just, like, we fucking love Gwen Tarantino films. Um, so when Daisy is sitting in the stagecoach and John Ruth mm-hmm. hits her in the face. Yeah. I remember in the theater, the the entire theater, it was, like, a wave of just everybody was like, oh. <laughs> like, it got, like, it was a shockwave that got sent through, like, the, the entire audience. And it was like, oh, shit. And you feel bad for Daisy. Yeah. And then at the end, you don't. No. You realize that Daisy is a terrible person mm-hmm. and Daisy is a killer. And, and John Ruth being as ruthless and as mean as he was was kind of justified. Mm-hmm. And, to watch her hang, you would normally, in my opinion, you would normally kind of be like, man, this is rough. But you kind of are happy that they're doing
1: it. Yeah, because they do play like triumphant music through it, too. Yeah. And it kind of is led to believe where it's like she got what she deserved. Oh, yeah. And and you could honestly, by the end, you can kind of feel that. Yeah. Especially, too, for like how many people were killed by the end of this mm-hmm. thing and how many people were like really hurt by the end of this thing. Yeah. Um, Rest in peace, Marquis Walls. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
0: And then I thought a really interesting choice that he did make with filming this 70 millimeter uh, aspect ratio, Mm -hmm. because this movie is super wide,
1: like really, really wide. Um, Which is perfect for the dynamic of Minnie's haberdashery, right?
0: But it's it's a it's an interesting choice mm-hmm. because he chooses such a, a, a such a wide frame, and it's in my opinion it's kind of similar to like Kubrick's The Shining, where like there's there are certain aspects in the movie where Kubrick decides to like throw on like a really really wide lens mm-hmm. in like a really really tight space, like specifically like the hallway scenes when like Jack is walking down the hallways and stuff like that. Yeah, like you have these like really really wide shots inside of a tight area and it almost and it makes it feel more claustrophobic Mm -hmm. and in this movie i think there's two dynamics for the wideness you have you have the the wideness of being inside of minnie's haberdashery and it's fucking and it makes it feel real real claustrophobic but then you can also just see everything yeah so when there's one character like in front of the frame and like that's who you're focusing on you can still see the other characters in the background like just doing what they would normally be doing. And I thought that was an interesting choice because there's never there's never not really a scene once you're in the haberdashery Mm -hmm. where there's somebody not in the background that you should be like maybe be keeping your eye on to like see like what they're doing.
1: Yeah, I noticed that too. And I really thought that was awesome. Specifically like when you have Marquis going around and trying to figure out with John Ruth like, you know... Who who started, like, everything. Yeah. And you have, like, people like Joe Gage in the background just walking over and, like, sitting in a chair. Or Oswaldo, like, going over to, like, take another sip of, like, uh, whiskey. Yeah. And it almost reminded me a lot of, like, how a play is set up. It,
0: well, that's exactly, like, yeah.
1: And I thought that was a really awesome dynamic for this film that I haven't seen in, like, any other film.
0: Yeah. Or Uh, at
1: least not as noticeable. Yeah,
0: no, not nearly. I mean, look, the love and the amount of detail that Tarantino puts into his movies, there's never going to be anybody else like him, in my opinion, or at least nobody else that will be able to accomplish the way that he does every time. Um, So I completely agree that it does almost feel like a play it feels like you're watching it on stage and I feel like this movie or yeah like watching this script on stage would probably be a really really interesting experience too Mm -hmm. and I really hope that uh it eventually I mean once this whole COVID thing ends and people can actually like do like large gatherings and stuff like that (laughs) like I would really really love to see it on like a on like a theater it'd be really really awesome um another amazing thing I want to speak about is the music
1: Yes. Uh, you so, have the soundtrack, I do. don't you? Uh,
0: yeah. So Inyo, Inyo Morricone did the, the soundtrack for this and actually rest in peace because he recently just died like oh. a, a month and a half ago or something. Ironically, this was like this, the uh, – I, I believe this was the original soundtrack for John Carpenter's The Thing. Oh, really? And then they like – something happened and like it ended up not being used because this movie you could tell is actually very influenced by The Thing. Like I don't know if you've like if you caught that, but like kind of the the whole aspect of the who done it part, yeah, and the trapped inside with a winter storm outside, and and, and Kurt Russell, and, and Kurt Russell being like <laughs> one of the leads.
1: I uh, feel like we've talked about this before, and I can kind of see it because yes, like it is supposed to be. Like, we can't trust anybody. Yeah. We don't know what's going on yeah.
0: type situation. Exactly. And that's what the, that's what John Carpenter's The Thing is. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, John Carpenter's Thing is about racial inequality. Yes. And this movie is about racial inequality. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, like, there's, there's uh, a high level of parallels with it. Um, but, yeah, the score for this film is one of my favorite scores, I think, like, ever. Um, from the opening shot... Mm-hmm. When you have, like, that boom, 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 and it's, like, just going, and and you have, like, the stagecoach coming, and then you have, like, Jesus on the cross, yeah. and, and he's, it's like, covered in snow. Out. Oh, my God, because, I mean, what a what a perfect opening shot, because, in my opinion, what that kind of represents is, like, they are in this world in which—and it's so cold, and it's so just, like, barren— that even God can't help them. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Yes. Like, in know, like in a way, like that's kind of like what I get from that shot is like, is like they are going to be stuck. So I think a lot of this movie also deliver or it kind of like weighs on fate. Like mm-hmm. it, like everything in this movie kind of happens by fate. Like mm-hmm. it just so happens to be by fate that, john ruth is riding through and he sees samuel jackson mm-hmm. right and it just so happens to be by fate that there's a giant winter storm following them and they need to get to this minis haberdashery, and it just happens to be by fate that all these other characters are inside of there already yeah and and i think that this movie like has like heavily relies on fate and i feel like like with that opening shot of, of the, of Jesus on the cross and the snow just overtaking him completely is just kind of like what I said already, where it's like, you guys are at this point, it's out of my hands. You know what I mean? Like God, even God isn't going to be able to to help you in this situation. You guys have to do like, figure this out amongst yourselves. Um, and that's an interesting way to look at it. I mean, that's just the way I look at it. That's the way that I see it. Um, and then, of course, something that you and I always really, really love in a film is when the world itself is kind of like another character. And yes. in this world...
1: Minnie's the, haberdashery.
0: The, Minnie's haberdashery and the snowstorm. Mm-hmm. The snowstorm is essentially another character.
1: Yes, because it is the most destructive thing that's going on in this world.
0: Right. And I just love how it's depicted. Like this movie makes you feel cold. Yes. Like, when they throw another log on the fire, you're just like, thank God. Like, like, oh, all right. It was getting a little... When Obi (laughs)
1: comes back from, like, wrangling in the horses and, like, he takes three blankets and goes sits by the fire, you feel how cold he is. Yeah, man.
0: And I think that also kind of delivers with the dialogue because Mm -hmm. the dialogue is super cold. Because, look, Tarantino, love it or hate it, he delivers dialogue that uh, is accurate for the time mm-hmm. and
1: blunt into your face. Blunt into
0: your face and that's kind of what this weather is. This weather yes. is like it is what it is mm-hmm. and like you can't really deny that it's fucking cold. <laughs> you know what I mean? And the dialogue for this film is really harsh and really cold. Yeah. And that's just like another aspect that Tarantino you know, I think really really hit like a slam, you know, like a home run with. Um so, there's amazing scenes, there's fantastic dialogue, and there's really funny scenes. Yes. We were talking earlier about when the cameras were when the uh, microphones weren't on about Like that
1: door is a whore
0: because the door is so funny.
1: Yes. As soon as like chapter three happens and they get to Minnie's haberdashery. Yeah. And everybody's just yelling like, put the board on. You gotta, (laughs) you gotta nail it in. No, you need two boards. It's not going to hold. And it flies open. Yeah. And then you're literally doing that like three times over because you have like John Ruth and Daisy coming in first. And then you have, um, Marquise and senior Bob coming in and then you have OB coming in. And Mm -hmm. it's like, Oh my God. Yeah.
0: Um, I thought that the uh the murder mystery aspect of the movie was done really
1: well. Yes. I, I
0: I kinda wish it went a little longer.
1: Yeah, especially too like when, you know, you get to chapter four where Domargu's got a secret. Right. And I love too where you it's get like the, you, you get the have, one
0: little Tarantino cameo. Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
1: you have Tarantino just doing like the voiceover work for yeah. it. And you get that mystery of who poisoned the po- the coffee pot. Yeah. And you already have this feeling like you know something's not right inside here, so adding this murder mystery aspect to it for a very gruesome death for John Ruth and Ob mm-hmm. for drinking the coffee. Like my yeah. God, like yeah. they are just spewing up blood. I mean,
0: what a what a ter- if that's not Tarantino, then I don't know what is. Exactly, and
1: then. <laughs> him trying to choke out Daisy and she pulls the gun out yeah. and just shoots him right in the chest. Oh.
0: It's, it's the best. It,
1: it's the hardest death to watch in that <laughs> film because I loved John Ruth's character. Yeah. But still, like, so so crazy awesome. Yeah. And then, yeah, then you have, like, this whole aspect of Samuel Jackson's character working with Mannix because he, Mannix was about to drink the coffee, so he knows it wasn't him. Right. So now they're questioning Daisy, Senior Bob, Oswaldo, and Joe right and now it's becoming like who did it yeah
0: and i love when uh, marquis is like when when he starts breaking down like like how he's like realizing like what's going on here and he has the whole thing about uh he's like he does like the whole little monologue about knowing what Minnie's stew tastes like. Yeah. And, and, he, and then, like, the whole sign on the, on, the, on the wall about, like, no Mexicans and no dogs. Yeah. And then he's like, a little, he's like, you know, a few years ago, she took down that sign. And you want to know why? Because she started letting dogs in. Yeah. <laughs> and then he's like, so I find it real hard to believe that she left you in charge. And he's referring to Senor Bob. Mm. And, the, and then he's like, now, Senor Bob. I am calling you a liar. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's so badass. It's like, so bad it's like the best fucking dialogue. And, oh, God. It's it, <laughs> there's so many quotes throughout this movie that like, I just absolutely love.
1: <laughs> like, even so is like when um, when they're talking about John Ruth is like you don't cheat the hangman. Yeah. Where it's like when, when other people come for you, you get killed. They bring you back dead. But when the hangman finds you, yeah. you hang. Yeah.
0: And then there's really like you kind of mentioned Tim Roth's character, Mm -hmm. uh, Oswald Oswaldo, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: because like he kind of like foreshadows a little bit of like the hanging of uh,
1: Daisy. Daisy. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: Because like when he does like the whole like in like what what is justice?
1: Yes. I love that speech from him. Yeah,
0: it's great. Because he kind of, you kind of, if you like took that speech and then like overplayed it or played over it um, over the scene where they're hanging her, Mm -hmm. it like is literally like foreshadowing exactly what's going to happen. Yeah. Um.
1: Whether he knows it or not. Exactly.
0: Yeah. And, but yeah, you mentioned how like his accent changes and Mm -hmm. a lot of their accents change Mm -hmm. once they realize like we're at, you know, there's no point of lying anymore. Like it is what it is. Um, because when you first meet Tim Roth's character he's like very proper English yeah and then when he gets shot in the stomach and then he like kind of reveals who he really is, it changes from like this upper class to kinda, like bruiser kind of. yeah and I thought that was a really interesting de- like the thing is again with Tarantino is all the details. yes, you know and like a detail, That's a small like, detail. It, it's a small detail that if're you're, if you're that you might not notice but to like people like us who really like analyze movies and mm-hmm. like watch them and and really try to like break down characters you you notice that type of stuff yeah um another great fucking scene is when daisy is playing the guitar
1: yes I yes it. and she's singing and then you know it reveals like i'm gonna watch you die john yeah and then he smashes the guitar yeah
0: again foreshadowing exactly um it's great what about when she cuts off his arm
1: yeah to try and get to the gun at the end it's crazy yeah and man like again fucking poor poor major warren's nuts poor major warren's nuts man that Mm. is a rough
0: scene but it's so great because when channing Tatum delivers the say say adios to your huevos yeah, and he's just up there and he just fucking shoots his balls off and again like
1: you know i don't particularly like Channing Tatum I I can't say there's one film that I've seen him in where I'm like I'm a fan of him now yeah but he delivers a really good set in this film yeah like when when you're introduced to like him as Jody and when they're going to Minnie's haberdashery and he's speaking in French and like you know he is kind of like this suave leader mm-hmm. and then you learn that like he has some darker intentions to everything yeah and you're kind of just sitting there like biting your nails waiting for something to happen yeah and i thought like his portrayal was really good yeah
0: and like again like excellent tension building because i like when he does take you back to mm-hmm. when they first show up to minnie's and minnie is there you know that it's gonna go bad yeah and you're just waiting for like the first thing to go bad and it's kind of hard because Minnie is... I love Minnie. Like, yeah, Minnie's she's, awesome. She's not like a huge character. Mm-hmm. Like her habit... Her, her She is in a way that like they speak about her a lot and they talk about her haberdashery and they talk about her like who she is. Mm-hmm. But you never actually see her. And then when you finally do see her, like she's great. Yeah. Like she's so just like sweet. She's like She's like like a child, like when you're a kid and like whoever's like when you go over to like a friend's house and their mom is just like super loving mm-hmm. and just like super like or you warm my and inviting mom. <laughs> yeah like it's just like one of those where it's just like you know she's just so great and and you know that it's going to be like like that she's going to die
1: yeah and then sweet bob too sweet bobs even fun yeah, in it I like, whereas bob, like he's yeah. he's like I'm whipping this guy's ass in <laughs> chest. yeah and then like the cool easter egg of uh red apple tobacco of course yeah um you know
0: it's just I, listen, it's one of those movies where I think that uh, I think that because you said how your girlfriend like didn't really like this movie.
1: No, I, feel, I was I, really I think, mad about that. Yeah,
0: I think it's just one of those movies that like it, you have to watch it a few times and then it might mm-hmm. grow on you a, a little bit. Because again, even for me, who's a diehard Tarantino fan, even the first time that I watched it, I was just kind of like, it's a, it's definitely one of his weaker movies. And then I just realized how fucking. Well, I guess my thing about it was I wasn't expecting. I was I was expecting a Django, another Django, yeah. right? Because it's like action, and it was just pure badassery like the entirety of the movie. And, and this movie, this movie is a straight up murder mystery kind of, and it's a and it's much more of a slow burn, like much more of a slow burn. And you have to really like kind of strap yourself in for that. Mm-hmm. Um, not exactly what I expected, but again, it's probably it's probably between this and Inglorious Bastards for me mm-hmm. for like my favorite Tarantino films ever.
1: I would definitely put this in like the top three. Yeah. It, it's between this, Reservoir Dogs, and Inglorious Bastards.
0: Yeah. I mean, yeah. Inglorious Bastards is so good. <laughs> uh,
1: the only, the literally only thing that I did not like in this film, and you might agree with me with it, is the use of slow mo towards the end. I did. The slow mo is,
0: is a little strange. It, it's
1: a little odd because you have like Mannix talking regular making a deal with daisy and then you He's have like, you're general- gonna make a deal with yeah. that bitch. <laughs> but it is funny it is funny <laughs> but it was just like it took me out of the moment yeah
0: i i, I kind of agree yeah. i think that the slow-mo it does take you out just a hair but even even though it does take you out it still has that redeeming quality of it being pretty comedic yeah so it's like a toss-up. It's kind of like, it's just like, at that point, it's kind of like a personal preference, you know? It's just kind of like, for some people, it probably they love it because they think it's hysterical. Mm. For some people, they're probably like, this is a little... Eh. It's
1: funny, but it takes me out of the moment. Yeah, so I, I that's agree. the only thing that I thought like could have been done slightly better. Yeah, I agree.
0: Um, there's so much to cover about this movie, and I don't want to just sit here and talk about it for like three hours. Mm. Um, but you know look the the big black johnson scene
1: (laughs) yes is and then laying the gun down for the general to really like set it up so how cool is that right yes because he knows that like if he tries to shoot him then he's able to shoot him back right exactly because it's self-defense exactly
0: um so it's it's funny because the way that tarantino did it in the 70s did you have an intermission no. Okay. So when when you watched it in theaters there was no intermission? Mm-hmm. Okay, so when I saw it in, in theaters there was an intermission and the intermission happened right after he tells the big Black Johnson story and shoots oh. and shoots him. So then I mean, what a fucking class act. Like like to to make to make that be, like, right where the intermission happens, mm-hmm. because you just are itching for, like, I need I need this movie to come back on. I need to see, like, where this goes. <laughs> yeah. And you're sitting there, and, pe- like, some people got up and, like, like, walked around, got popcorn, got another drink, whatever it was. And I was like, I cannot get up and move. And I'm sitting there with, at the time she was my my ex-girlfriend or at the time she was my girlfriend um (laughs) and and like i'm sitting there and she she just like didn't she she like wasn't nearly as like uh into Like, like films as like i i am and i was so it just like didn't affect but i was just like jaw drop like oh my god that was absolutely amazing um what a what a fantastic movie! It's fantastic. It really is just one of my favorite movies, maybe ever. Um, a great fucking, uh, like beautifully shot, amazing cinematography, a great score, just an all star cast. Mm-hmm. Everybody comes through and just performs at like their absolute peak. There's 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 nothing to hate about this movie. It's just so fucking good. And then on top of that, he's got a great uh you know a, a message to be not a you know he's got a message to be said about yeah. like what's going on in the world and all that. And,
1: and it's done perfectly.
0: It's done perfectly. Oh,
1: <sighs> the best.
0: Sweating from talking about it. <laughs> now I'm that fucking... you're sweating, what what
1: do you have to recommend? <laughs> All right, so um,
0: my recommendation is something that I actually feel really, really passionate about, and um, so in my I've never been upset. I, I've never had a a real reaction t- towards a celebrity's death, mm-hmm. um, but when this person died it genuinely affected me to a point where like I actually kind of like just sat down and had to like take a moment um and I'm referring to Anthony Bourdain so Anthony Bourdain if you're not familiar he had um two shows he had three shows and and he's a writer and whatnot um but his first show was No Reservations and then it kind of morphed into something called Parts Unknown and if you're not familiar with what that is, is it's basically um, – it, it's way more uh, – nowadays, it's like there's like a million shows that are similar. But for the time that it came out, it was kind of like the first one. And it was him traveling around the world with a crew and go, going all over to these different countries and states and whatnot mm-hmm. and eating the food. It it was a cooking show, essentially, like at its core, it was kind of like a show about like food, but it really, really showed you the art Mm -hmm. of it. And, and you, and you really realize that, that some of these chefs, they're not just preparing food, you know, like you go to a restaurant, it's like, oh, that place has a really good steak or, oh, that place has really good, whatever. Like Anthony Bourdain shined a light on, it's an actual art form and it's, and, and he, had, he did it in a way that it also wasn't even really only about the food. Like, the food was kind of, like, the starting point. Mm-hmm. And then he would just, like, deep dive, like, like hard into, like, the culture. Like, there was one episode where they went to Japan. Mm-hmm. And most of the episode is, like, talking about, like, hentai and, like, tentacle porn and stuff like that. But then it always would come back. Because he, he would really, like, deep dive into, like, the culture. Mm-hmm. And and I learned so much about the culture. Like, he, like there was one episode similar. I, I'm not sure if it was Japan or if it was China or if it was like, it was some Asian like part of the world. And he, and he, and he mentioned like, he, he mentioned how he could feel that the men in this culture, like are all depressed. Like they all seem like really like heavy. And, and he was, and, and the woman that he was with was explaining how like, that's kind of like, like they're born with that. Like, like, like they're born with this kind of heaviness and like this depression with them and that's just kind of like what they have to deal with for like whatever and and he really deep dives into like culture and whatnot um and he's an excellent writer so like there's a lot of uh he does a lot of narration over over the over all the episodes and I mean I kind of think that he's more of a writer first Mm -hmm. before like a chef at at least like from this show i mean like he literally the what the way that he speaks about what's going on it's literally poetry and he taught you know and there's just so much about the show that is so good political like he talks about politics like what's going on in their country in their world and
1: it's just absolutely amazing i feel like i've seen like something of him i think he released like something on netflix um a couple years back before he passed away yeah And I watched that, and I was really intrigued by it. Yeah,
0: Anthony Bourdain, I think, is, like, one of the most interesting people that I've ever, like, unfortunately, I never got a chance to meet him. And Mm -hmm. I really wish like, he's, like, one of those people that I really, really, really wish that I had a, like, I feel like. I think it would have been very rare. like I think it's very rare for me to get like starstruck like mm-hmm. I don't think that I would really like oh like there's whoever like I doesn't really but like Anthony Bourdain for me would have been like one of those guys that if I did ever have a chance to meet that I think I would have genuinely been like starstruck by. Yeah. Um and yeah, when I found out that he like killed himself, I mean, it just it affected me like badly. Mm-hmm. Um but uh, but I think that his show Parts Unknown and No Reservations are really really incredible incredible shows and it teaches you not just about food and it doesn't just show you that it's more than just food and it's more than just a chef making it but you you really learn about the world yeah um so that's my recommendation
1: okay Awesome.
0: Uh, Zach what's our next
1: movie Frank we are well, I guess
0: what is this going to be re- I don't even know like when this is being released now is this being released after the, our 100th episode
1: yes this is <laughs> okay gonna- so then we're fine yeah so <laughs> we're back on track yeah <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're fine again yeah. we're going back to A24 stuff oh boy so I want to do a most violent year yes with Oscar Isaac yes
0: haven't seen it actually I
1: haven't either but it looks awesome yeah um, alright awesome sick uh, Zachary Frank take us out All right, guys, thank you for listening. Now, Frank, when you're up against that wall, you're not going to get a warning, not a question, but a bullet.